Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Would you like to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. I listen to morning with the sun up. I'm busy. WBZ News Radio 1030. I tune my radio to AM 1030. The radio's all yours now. I talk to a man whose name is Bradley J. Improved my mind in a wonderful way. I just called in to see what condition conversation was in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, what condition conversation was in. WBZ, you are Jay talking. Here we are again. New week, brand new week. Hope the weekend was good for you and refreshing and reinvigorating. It actually was for me. And I, I, I'm mellow. I guess that's the sign of a successful weekend. Try to keep it interesting. I think you're going to like this. Malcolm Purinton, a beer historian, for real, like big time. Not just hobbyist, but serious student of beer history. Who's also a doctor of philosophy in world history. Is that correct? That's what it says. That's, that's yep, the correct yep, phrase. That's it. And uh, mostly we're going to talk about the beer part did it, uh, this morning. But it's worth noting that you have gone to school a lot. <laughs> yeah, I have. And we added it up in the elevator. 28 years. 28 You've years. Been, you went to school 28 years, which yep. is probably, well, it has to be more than half your life. Yes, it is. You hadn't thought of that, had you? <laughs> I hadn't it's thought It's a good that. thing, I guess. It's a good life. It's been enjoyable. Are you done? You're gonna, do you miss the, the academic school part of academia? I mean, the going to? I like Are the, you done? I, I like the structure at that point. Yeah. I mean, I love learning. Oh, absolutely. But now so, I get to teach more. But, so now oh. you still have the structure because you're in the template of academia, but you're on the other side. Yes. And you're still learning, but now you're getting paid. Hey, do you have, as an aside, two guys talking, do you have massive college debt? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like hundred grand? Yeah. And how do you deal with that? Is it something <laughs> one, that's just- One pay at a time. <laughs> too, something that's too big to worry about kind of thing? Like you would worry about your broken windshield- but you can't worry about the big debt because yeah, it's too big to worry about. Yep, yep exactly. You just, all you worry about is that month's payment. You just figure that's going to be there forever. Yeah, yep, no, exactly. Yeah, just like uh, paying for my health care. Okay. It's an interesting way to look at it. I wonder if that'll become the new norm. I, before, people kind of had this idea, I'll go to school, I'll pay for it, and then I'll be done paying for it. But maybe it will be more like health care in the, in the future where you always pay for it, always. Oh, yeah. I mean, because people, you know, who should be retiring, who are still paying for their loans. All right. So let's dig into the beer thing. I guess the, the way to go, since we're talking about you, would be to, to make this jump by talking about you and your education and how, what happened? There was a day, one day, <laughs> when your education took a little turn and you were, you were studying religion. You were kind of interested in theology and you had a professor that, Turn that big ship a little bit. 
Yeah. No, one no, way or the exactly. other, and all of a sudden, your hyper curious focus went to alcohol and beer, most most specifically. Yep. How'd that happen? Tell me that story. Well, I'd already been homebrewing for several years, and uh, I was doing my master's at Northeastern, and I was taking a class on African colonialism. Uh, I was studying the history of religions. Both my parents and ministers never really got into it, so I was really curious. And I started writing a little bit for Yankee Brew News, which I now currently write for Yankee Brew News. Uh, I'm the Boston columnist for that. And yeah, this African colonialism class, one of the professors overheard friends of mine talking about how I was abnormally interested in beer, not just for the drinking aspect, but just overall. And so she suggested that I write my final paper on alcohol policies in Africa for British Empire. And I thought, are you kidding? No, that makes sense. You could probably write a similar paper on rum and the revolution. Oh, absolutely. Think I'll talk about beer and the revolution. Alcohol figures into lots of history and lots of politics. Pretty much every part of history. All right. Uh, Do you feel like you are inordinately interested in beer? I mean, why the interest? Well, it started out with... Are you somebody uh, that's hyper-interested in everything that you get into? (laughs) <laughs> okay. Yeah, perhaps I am. Perhaps I am. I mean, it's I, not a bad thing. I, I will I'm follow. Just... I'm a very, I'm very curious. So I will follow uh, an interest as far as I can. Uh, okay. Beer's been. So you latch on and yeah. you're, you're. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll latch on. Just keep going. For Christmas, I'm getting. I'm guessing people get you beer stuff. Oh yeah, and it's great. Oh, I'll have friends' grandmothers send me like articles. It's uh, it's fantastic. I'll have friends calling me about homebrewing when they're in Seattle and I'm here in Boston and. Just, yeah, I'll help you out. Or like they're standing in a liquor store and like, hey, I'm going to an event. What should I bring so with me? So somebody that asks you that gets lucky because you know what to <laughs> bring. Yeah. All right. Now, um, let's go with, let's start with current events as far as the world of beer goes. Uh, there, well, go ahead. I have a question that's related to current events, but I think that it's probably best if you give me the current event first and then I'll ask the question. What's well, going on? As far as uh, there's a merger that took place, and what is that, and why is it significant? Absolutely, yeah. Boston Beer Company, uh, Jim Cook, uh, is merging with Dogfish Head Brewing Company, Sam Calagione and his wife. Uh, huge, huge deal on the, uh, especially the craft beer circuit across the country. This What's is the a, definition of craft beer? It's mostly based upon size. Um, yeah. It's defined by the Brewers Association. Uh, and what is that size? Uh, currently, actually, I believe it's about... Six million barrels. Six million barrels. It, it's kept going up depending on how yeah, large depending the on how, how large companies want to call yeah, it a exactly. craft beer. Yeah. So, what did it used to be? It's hard to me to hard for me to imagine six million barrels being a craft. Oh, it was under operation. a million before, and then it just it's gone up over the past ten years multiple times. All right. How many barrels did Dogfish Head crank out recently? Yeah. I mean, three hundred thousand. 300,000. That's not that many. So they're, they're legit craft. Yeah. I okay. mean, craft is also kind of an attitude as well. I so see. it's, it's the, an the idea of craft beer is also it's artisanal, it's independent. That's, that's the key piece because no matter how large Samuel Adams gets, it's still independently owned. And they also do a lot, you know, helping out I different see. craft brewers as well. So the, in the definition of craft is morphed. Mm-hmm. And, and what does it depend on? It depends on what the people who have the beer want it to be, kind of. Yeah, pretty I much. I mean, it used to be you can't have that many barrels, but now you can. 
Now, now it's just the attitude. But it's still also uh, and now it's all it's independent. Yes. All right. Independent means not a public health company. Correct. And also not part of it was set up as kind of a David and Goliath. Like the the origin story of craft beer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, back in the '90s, it was microbreweries, and then it became craft as a broader style. Yeah. Um, and attitude, really, with beer, and so right now it's still, and it's also exporting. It's not just the United States thing; it's across the world. Whether you're in South Africa or Japan or anywhere place else, it's more of an attitude and experimentation and innovation of flavors of beer and ingredients, local ingredients, trying to bring everything into an attitude of what you're drinking what is the attitude independence independence yep can you explain that help me help me get it let's say i go to a bar and get what what's a good example of a craft beer that i might order well i mean you can get um a night shift all right cool. i'll say give me a night shift yep so what is the attitude um, what is my attitude what am i ex you're here expressing in Boston, getting a night shift you're like oh yeah I'm who am i a when i say that you're someone who's looking for a specific flavor, but also someone who's looking for uh, a local company, someone that you want to spend your money on, which is going to be, you know, more money because it's kind of it's a higher end uh, product. It's a commodity that represents who you are. You are someone who thinks for themselves. You are someone who enjoys uh, the finer things in life, uh, and also focusing on that supporting people that you want to. Uh, that independence aspect is really key to what craft beer is, because whether it's Samuel Adams or Sierra Nevada or Dogfish Head, you are these are the large guys. Also, I mean Harpoon, Massachusetts Bay Con like beer brewing company, they are local producers. They are people who care about their community. They support the community, uh, both through buying ingredients, but also through different fundraising efforts and so forth, uh, races and things like that. You know, you should be hired by the major beer companies to do exactly what you're doing here, is to keep the perception of beer manufacturers or makers or brewers uh, small. Make it, mm -hmm. keep that attitude there, even though they're making millions of barrels. You'd be good at that. Sort of a marketing guy. Well, I mean, I know the history of beer and the stories that wrap it around. I mean, it's marketing is just stories, just as history is storytelling. Okay. Now, it's also important um, when I order a night shift, not only is it important because I order the night shift, it's important that I did not order a bunch of, there are other things I did not that I that I rejected. Mm -hmm. What What is this, the message there? I'm rejecting what when I order the night shift? You're direct, you are rejecting a, a nameless organization that is trying to quash the little guy. A nameless organization, did you say? No, yeah, I mean, nameless, uh, faceless, how about that? Faceless, they have a name. Yeah. It's faceless organization that's going to quash the, the relatively smaller person the relatively or, or organization. Smaller. Okay, you're rejecting, it's, you're rejecting more than that. Mm -hmm. You're rejecting a whole lifestyle in a way. Mm -hmm. You're rejecting the whole four old guys lined up at a bar drinking $3 Budweiser. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's not just about the beer. It's about a whole, it probably is even political. It probably even makes a political statement. For Right? I Absolutely. Mean, Definitely. What are the chances that somebody ordering a night shift are right wing? Not great. What are the chances someone ordering a Bud in, a, in an old man bar, like I was in this weekend, <laughs> Being liberal, not, not great. 
So there's a whole lot going on when you make your choice. A lot more than the beer. Mm-hmm. All right. You're a, beer, you're a brewer yourself. Well, we're going to find out some of the – we'll get the, the crash course in brewing after this. Okay? Thanks, Andrew. Andrew is your producer. It's WBZ. We're here to talk. That's why we're here to talk. Now, what do you say? No, it's all on BZ. Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. WBZ News Radio 1030. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Where are you going? I'll be all around in the dark. Oh, don't leave me tonight. I'll be everywhere, wherever you can look. Tonight will be a fine night, be that judging by the sky. You know Jay Talking, Bradley Jay, WBZ News Radio 1030. WBZ, we're with Malcolm Purinton, an extremely interesting guy. Highly, highly educated. He's a teacher and he's a beer historian in, a, in both a formal and a fun way. We're going to get to the history of beer, but first, since I promised, we'll talk about brewing. You've been a brewer for a long time. I know producer and now news ops man Mark Lavallo, he's into it as well. Yeah. You and your girlfriend both brew? Yep, yeah, we actually just did a brew today. You did a brew today. All right. How do you do it? I know that's kind of open-ended, <laughs> but gonna, I don't care. On a small <laughs> scale, I mean, the, like the two things, everyone always asks me, like, how do you start with beer? How do you make a good home brew? Yep. And, I mean, the two main things are, you know, be patient and sanitize everything. Sanitize, sanitize, sanitize. Sanitize everything. There are bugs everywhere. Just like any project. Yeah. You need to... Be painstakingly careful. Yes. That's the joy, the zen of the project. Yep. Is to be mindful of every step. Enjoy every little step, even the sanit- sanitizing. Yep. Oh, Go, yeah. well, it's the same with anything, whether it's a project with leather or m- making a shirt or, or having a garden. That's the key to anything. And, sanit- and sanitizing. I suppose first you have to decide what kind you want to make, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I usually just go with... Whatever I'm feeling like. I mean, summertime, I just like to go with a nice wheat ale or just did a Saison today. So a French-style Saison. Well, that's pretty fancy. How about something? Oh, let's, okay, <laughs> tell us how from from scratch what you had to do to make your French-style Saison. And by the way, what is that? A so a Saison, a Saison. So, uh, Saison um, means season oh, in French. I thought it was like the painter. No, 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 quite different. Okay. Yeah. S-A-I-S-O-N. All right. Uh, and it is a beer that was actually originally made for the workers, uh, southern Belgium, northern France, who were working in the fields at the end of the summer uh, during the harvest season. So something that would be lower alcohol content, mm-hmm. something that would be light, refreshing, incorporating different types of herbs and spices, whatever you might be 
harvesting in the field mm-hmm. and low alcohol. So you can be drinking it all during the day. Mm-hmm. And so I like it. Added in some hops that come from Czech Republic, Saws, uh, nice peppery type of flavor. Where do you get your hops? Uh, homebrew supply. Where, where's that? I mean, there are a bunch around, right? Uh, there's a few. There's a few. There's um, one I know on Beacon Street. There used to be one on Beacon oh, Street. Oh, it's gone. Just closed. Okay. Yep. So there's, um, there's the Homebrew Emporium uh, up near Davis Square okay. on Mass Ave. And uh, I actually got mine. I'm from Vermont. So I went to the Vermont Homebrew Supply and picked up my all my ingredients up there. The hops, the grain, which is very key. Uh, that's where you get all of your sugar. That's where you get your color. Uh, you get the head retention, you know, a nice foam on top. And uh, yeah. you bring it all, all in together. If you're just starting, you got to buy a whole bunch of other stuff, though. What is the beginner who's never done it, starting from scratch, you need to buy stuff, hardware, bottles, uh, bins. You need, you need like a you need something to a large kettle. You need to do a, a enough to boil three to five seven gallons of liquid. So you need a nice big kettle. You can do this on a regular stove. Oh yeah. Oh, I've done in it your on kitchen? like electric stove, on okay. gas stoves, like all over the place. That's I'll, a big kettle. It's oh yeah. I mean, I'll do. I start off just with extract. So you can basically instead of lots of grain, lots and lots of grain, you can get extract, malt extract. So you can w- work with smaller volumes of water. Yes. Okay. Yep, yep. So the boil can be much smaller. You got to make sure you have something to ferment into. Okay, so you're going to you need a big pot, something yep. to ferment into. Yep. What would that be? Um, I like my glass carboy. So it's a nice big glass jug. Uh, you basically put an airlock on top. Because what's going to happen is once you have done the boil, you have your hops in there, you've got all of the all of the sugar. It's basically like large sugar water. You're putting everything in this kettle and boiling it? Yeah. Is that easy? Yep. Pretty much, yeah. And you boil it for how long? One hour. One hour? Generally. Okay, that's yep. doable. One hour. You add hops a couple times. You can add, I mean, I like to add in Belgian candy sugar sometimes or some fresh ginger. Okay. Um, I added some juniper berries today. And then you get this big glass yep. jug you're going to pour you cool all that it, stuff once into. Once you cool it down, you put it all into this big jug. You add the yeast. Yeah. So yeast is, honestly, it's magic. It's just, it's a single-celled organism and basically eats all of the sugar and then lets out carbon dioxide, and the alcohol. Okay. So it converts all that sugar into CO2, anti-alcohol, and that then you have beer. After Do you have to have a, a cork in the glass thing that has an escape valve for the gas? Yes, exactly. Yeah, because you don't want two things that, that are going to hurt your beer, sunlight and oxygen. You don't want that. That's why cans are so good, good right now. I mean, you don't want to be drinking beer out of a nice clear glass bottle. That's going to go bad. Yeah. The sun will hit that, and it will skunk it. Skunk it? Skunk it. Okay. It'll go bad real quick. So you need this cork with a, is it like a, it has to be a one-way valve that lets yep, gas out and so no. Usually, usually with water. Okay. Um, because you'll, uh, the CO2 can be let out and it'll go through the water and then you can, no oxygen or anything else is going to go into that beer. Mm-hmm. And which means no oxygen, also no yeast flying or, like, you know, bacteria okay. or things in the air. Yep. None of that's going to get into your beer. No contaminants. Out. Exactly. So big pot. Everything in there, boil it, yep. let it cool down. Mm-hmm. Do you pour the excess water off, or is, is there excess water? No excess so water. So whatever's in there, yep. you pour it into this big glass thing. Yep, big glass Stick a cork with a, with a one-way valve on it. Yep. Oh, first you put your yeast in there. Yeah. The, you can. We'll get the details later. And then you wait. Yeah, it usually takes, I mean, depending on the type of beer, usually about one week for the first fermentation. Okay. Let that go through. Then the yeast will cool out. Like all the sugar will have been... Sugar will have been converted into alcohol, and then you can move it again, or you can bottle it right then. Move it again? Yep. 
Uh, it's called racking. So you move it from one carboy into another one uh, or another jug or things like that where it can set, like settle in for a while. Why would you need to move it instead of just leaving it in the same one to settle more? Well, there's more. a lot of yeast and a lot of other you know, proteins and things in that first beer. So once it's done, once the yeast doesn't have anything else to do, it just settles down the bottom uh -huh. and it's dead. So you don't so you want, want it to sit on that for too long. So you want to pour off what's above the yeast exactly. and leave the yeast in the bottom. Yep. So you could do that by bottling it right then mm -hmm. or putting it into another big jug. Yeah. If you put it into another big jug, that's I like the patience part of that, right? You want to let it sit there for another week, sometimes two. Just make sure it clarifies too. Okay. That beer is going to be it's going to be very hazy. Let it clarify for a while. Make sure that fermentation is completely done before you put it into a bottle or anything else. All right. So you're kind of done. What are some common mistakes? Uh, one would be not sanitizing. What happens when you don't sanitize? Oh, man. It, it it's a big germ festival because oh, that, yeah. all that stuff with the yeast is like a Petri dish for bad oh, germs. Yeah. Oh, all that sugar? I mean, the whole reason why yeast is producing alcohol at all is to fight off other organisms. So, I mean, any type of fruit. You know, grapes, for instance, or apples, peaches, anything like that. It's going to rot on the tree. You know, once it's gotten, you know, and with that rotting process, that is sugar. That is, that's life. I mean, those are carbs. There's going to, like, any type of animal is yeah. going to want. So they produce alcohol as a, as a defense, defense mechanism. mechanism? Absolutely. Because it'll kill anything else that's around it. Like, even weaker yeasts. Because that alcohol, that is going, yeast can. Okay. Yeah. And that way, so it's it, going to fight everything else out, and they will be the only ones. It kills competitors out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. That's the whole reason why it produces alcohol at all. Same that's thing with carbon dioxide, because well, everything else needs oxygen. That's great. What did you? What were the uh, ingredients that you had to buy for your uh, Parisian saison? <laughs> what did you have to get? You I got went, the check uh, check hops. What else? Uh, I got the check hops saws. I got some yeast. So. Special, there must be all kinds of yeast. yeast. Oh, yeah, plenty. And you experiment with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Saison yeasts. You've got Abiel yeasts from Belgium. You've got lager yeasts. You've got okay. countless. What's the easiest to make the hardest to screw up if someone's going to start? I'm trying to interest people in starting, so what oh, would you recommend? Yeah. Oh, just get some dry yeast. Go to a, go to a homebrew supply. What would you try spot. to make? Straight up lager? No. No, what would you try to make? No, make a straight-up ale. A straight-up ale. ale. Yep, make a straight pale ale or a brown ale. That's the way to go first Super, time. Super, yeah, it'd be great to go that the first time. And you can experiment. I would go with a simple yeast, nice dry yeast, uh, and then go with some hops. Look for the flavor profile for the hops. Hops are a flower. They All right. grow on a vine. We have the basics. Yes. And you can, now that we just wanted to get you interested, you could look up the specifics online or you can take a class. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. Pretty good hobby, I think, seriously. During the break, you mentioned a, a fermentation district that's right around, uh, right near here. Tell, tell me about the fermentation district. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. Right right over here in Everett. Um, so it actually started off, the very first one uh, to sign the lease was Bone Up Brewing Company, um, Jared and Liz Corrali, great people. Uh, and then right after that, Short Path Distillery and Night Shift Brewing Company all set up shop. Night Shift opened first. Uh, they now have a Lovejoy Wharf location as well but within a three-minute walk you can go from night shift brewing company to short path distillery uh, they produce their own rums and whiskeys and gins um, their gin is one of their their fantastically seasonal gins delicious and how, then, much is, how much does that gin cost compared to i know you have to pay more for this kind of thing but how much more um you're looking at uh like 30 to 50 bucks depending on the size well, that's um, not terrible. It's not terrible. I mean, they are, and they are like Hendrix's 
at least that. Oh yeah. And this is going to be like super small, small style, small craft. Like the herbs are going to be like picked nearby. It's really dialed. And that's the thing, right? That is what it's all about now. The mm -hmm. local. Yes. In your head, you know, these herbs were picked nearby and that's good. Yes. Right? Absolutely. It's going to get to the point like in Portlandia where you go in order before you buy the the uh, beer, you have to go to the farm and get to know the hops, yeah. spend time with it, interview the farmer. <laughs> oh, you know man. that? You know oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the chicken. one at Portland with yep. the chicken, right? Yep, with the chicken. Folks, these people, well, uh, <laughs> Sherry, excuse me, Carrie Brownstein and Fred Armisen play this couple that go to a restaurant. It's ultra, ultra local. And they're talking to the waitress and ask, start asking about the chicken. And do you know the chicken? Look and say, well, we'd actually like to visit the chicken first. So they take him out to the farm. Yep, yep. I mean, it, it probably won't get that far, but you're getting there, right? Like people will start, well, where's the actual garden where the uh, where the hops are, was oh, grown? Yeah. Well, Mystic Brewing Company. And you probably have also it just right just on the menu, too. right? Yeah. I mean, they, they did a, so Mystic Brewing Company did a beer where they picked all of the herbs and also Aeronaut did this as well um, over in Somerville. Uh, basically, all local herbs, uh, bring them in uh, within like a, I think it was just one acre or something. They picked all of the herbs and spices, put that into the beer for that special occasion. Uh, and I mean, you know, breweries are going to make you make sure that you understand that if they have a beer that has all local ingredients, whether it's all Massachusetts ingredients or if you're in Maine doing the same thing, it's going to be like hops from Four Star Farms. It's going to be grain from... Uh, uh, from Hadley, Massachusetts, uh, from the Malters there. I mean, okay, is organic imp important? Uh, locals, one thing, mm -hmm. but anyway, with cannabis, now that adult use is a thing, we're over that hump. Uh, people now care about it not, say, the oil not being extracted through a butane extraction process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, is the equivalent the case with brewing? People want to know that this was done without. Not as much. DDT or, you know, they don't, people don't ask about that. They ask where it comes from, but they don't ask, are you sure it's organic? <laughs> no, actually, that's not not a big piece of it. Hmm. Um, I mean, you know that the more local it is, the the more care is going to go into, like, these very small uh, harvests uh, and small grain batches. But it, the organic part, I mean, look at Peaks Organic uh, from Maine. Uh Still, nope. still yeah. doing all right, but it's not big. Same thing with the Woolivers uh, up in Vermont. They're now gone. Uh, so it's not really the organic, not so much. Is the organic a negative thing? Like for wine, you see organic wine, you kind of go, oh, how good could it be? No, definitely not it's a negative not, thing. It's not a negative, though. Nope, not at all. All right. Now, uh, let's do some history of beer. Since you're a history guy and a beer guy, history of beer, I guess folks didn't invent fermentation. They discovered it. Mm -hmm. and talk about what they probably discovered first and what the evidence is and, and where that might have taken place. Well, I mean, we just found out last fall uh, that beer fermentation predated uh, well, civilization. Looks like a Paleolithic 13,000 years ago, they just found uh, evidence, likely ev evidence in a cave in Israel uh, for Paleolithic brewers, basically. Stone Age brewers. Stone Age brewers. But then we have like the earliest civilizations. I mean, looking at Babylon, looking at all of Mesopotamia, uh, beer was a key part of everybody's lives. Um, there's even arguments for that's the reason why humans settled down, was to let the grain grow and let the fermentation happen. Uh, because, I mean, 
no one knew about yeast yet. I mean, yeast wasn't really... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Understood until 1876. But going back thousands and thousands of years, beer was a key piece to what people ate. If they uh, didn't know about yeast, how did they do the beer in the early days? Oh, it was magic. <laughs> was it magic? I mean, oh, yeah. seriously. No, I mean, yeast was- is part of beer. They just discovered and understood yeast in the 1800s. Well, then what did they do before that? So look at um, Sumerians. Uh, so they had the goddess, Ninkasi, the goddess of fermentation, uh, which, I mean, the earliest record that we have, the earliest recipe we have, is actually a hymn to the goddess, Ninkasi, describing how the beer was made. Well, but, how, what did they, my question is, what did they use instead of yeast? Did they use yeast and just did not know it was yeast? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, if we jump ahead a couple thousand years, we go to the monks uh, in medieval Europe. They would have a stick that you know might be rotting. They might have yeast on it. Yeah. And they would stir the the wort, so the W O R T, like the basically the the liquid sugar. Yeah. Uh, that would become beer. They would stir it with this nice rod, this like rotting wooden piece, and the yeast would be there. Would they didn't know be- why. They knew the stick worked, but they didn't. They knew the stick use was necessary, but they didn't know why. Exactly. Otherwise, they would also take a cauldron and hoist it up into the rafters of a cathedral, where you have you know. Wooden timbers. Okay. They would also be slowly rotting. There would be yeast falling off of that. They would then basically, it was like, you know, the mystic art of fermentation. Oh, cool. Did you happen to, do you happen to know how they isolated yeast and, and started to understand what the deal was with yeast? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. How'd that happen? Yeah. So, okay. We already had, we already, we understood the life cycle through uh, Louis Pasteur. So, pasteurization. 1876, he publishes a book on the studies of beer that talks about the life cycle of yeast. It's a single-celled single organism. This is what happens. But we don't have the ability to isolate a single yeast cell until 1883 in Carlsberg. Uh, Emil Hansen trained as a botanist working for the Carlsberg Brewing Company, uh, and they were having troubles that summer. All the beer kept going bad. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to try and figure this out. So what he does, he figures out how to isolate a single yeast cell. Then he goes into the beer, finds out there's actually seven different types of yeast in this beer. And so he isolates them each out, and then propagates them, you know, replicates them, and figures out that, okay, a bunch of them, most of these don't do anything. They're not adding flavor. They're not doing anything. This is the one yeast cell that we want, and this is the one that's making everything go bad. From that point on, we have the yeast, the pure yeast revolution. Okay, so there were, there were a bunch of types of yeast in there. One of them was a bad yeast that made the beer go bad. Yep. One of them was a good yeast they needed. Mm-hmm. The rest just didn't do anything. Yeah. How did, do you happen to know how we would? How do you isolate yeast? That, that may be very carefully beyond the scope of of this discussion. But how the heck do you you do that? Uh, well, you have to make sure you have a really good microscope. So you you actually look at it under a microscope. Oh yeah. All right. And it's my understanding, and I don't know how many people know this. I didn't. I don't probably didn't even know it that we actually inject CO two into beer, like at least mm-hmm. the mass produced beers. Yep. So why do we do that? How did that start? Well, I mean, honestly, because it's been, it was very difficult to make sure you had the right level of carbonation for most of history. I mean, bottling of beer didn't really catch on until the late 19th century. So it was big barrels. 
Oh, big barrels. And what they would do is generally they would let the beer go flat and then transport the beer and then add sugar when it got to its destination to restart their fermentation. Because there would still be residual yeast within the beer, in the barrel, in the bottle. They would add some extra sugar to let that carbonation happen. But it's a lot easier to know, like, what, you know, basically the PSI, like, uh, how much gas is going to be in that beer by injecting it. So unless you have a bottle that says it's bottle conditioned um, or on the lees, if you're in Quebec. Bottle conditioned. Bottle conditioned. Means what? There's still going to be some yeast in that beer. And so the yeast is going to be, there's going to be more fermentation occurring within the bottle. Okay, so it didn't need to have an injection. Correct. Yeah, so a lot of Belgian beers. So look at Chimay, look at uh, Roquefort, Vestmal. Um, all of these will generally be bottle conditioned, which means they're also very good for aging too. Because if that fermentation continues to go on, that beer is going to change over the course of months or years. Does it spoil after a while? It just ferments itself right out of the consumable window into... Well, as long as it's not exposed to too much sunlight and it's in a dark brown bottle, then it will last for years. It can only ferment so much until it runs out of fuel, which would be the sugar, correct? Yeah. And then it'll be done. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how did prohibition affect things? Oh, I mean, how how did it affect the evolution of beer in the United States? It basically led to there only being a, a few breweries. Because prior to this... Let me guess. 2000. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> prior, at the time of Prohibition, there were 2000 in the, in, the, in the nation. And then there were down to just a very, very few. Like, because also what happened, like why Prohibition even occurred was because yeah, of... Why was that? So it started off with... You had the uh, Women's Christian Temperance Union. You had the Anti-Saloon League. They were really targeting whiskey drinking mm-hmm. and rum drinking, the spirits. And so they were actually promoting the drinking of beer because it was safer to drink. And right. specifically, they were promoting the Pilsner, a light golden lager, which is you know what I'm writing about. Uh, that's my focus. Uh, and that allowed them to promote this one style, that style being related to Germans. It was German immigrants who, were bring, who brought this style here to the United States. And so they had German beer gardens. So it was a family-friendly uh, area in which to drink. And so, unfortunately, during World War I, suddenly the enemy of the country is Germans. Oh, yeah. And so they targeted the German-Americans. And so they were able to then push through prohibition, full prohibition, because now drinking that beer that they had been promoting... Uh, was it was a, an enemy kind of exactly. enemy-related thing. So initially, really, it was the Germans that knew how to do it and no one else really did? Well, it starts off with the Czechs, so the Bohemians. Uh, 1842, the very first time we have a golden lager brought out. I mean, it, this is the only global style of beer. Beer has been existing for thousands and thousands of years, but suddenly in 1842, we have the very first light golden lager, which we think of today. I mean, your, your Budweiser, your Pabst, your Schlitz, you know, all of these beers, regardless of what country you're in, that country is going to, if it's producing beer, it's going to have a light golden lager. Those are different though, right? I mean, the like Bud that we have here is not like a light golden lager in the Czech Republic. It's, it's right, not, but there's still Pilsner derivatives. There's still the, you can use the same adjectives to describe them. They same are, stuff. Same just stuff. not even the same ingredients, but they have the same characters, like characteristics. So you had you know high carbonation. So, okay. You have high carbonation. Yeah. You have a light golden color, very clear. You don't have any haziness whatsoever. You have lower alcohol content. All of these things 
are what the Pilsner on all these light golden lagers have in common, which is why we have that one global style of beer. What is a session beer? You can help me out on that. Why do they call it a session beer? Under 5% alcohol. And why session? Because you can drink it all day. For a long session. A long drinking session. Session beer. Yep. So you can't do a beer mile, for instance, with a, with a session beer. You cannot? Nope. A beer mile has to be done with a 5% or higher beer. That's a rule? Yes. And what is a beer mile? So beer mile. It's, I, um, I can guess, but I bet there's yep. more, more details to it than I, I know. So four times around a, around a track is going to be one mile. Yes. And at the beginning of the first mile, you're going to take a can or bottle, 5% or higher, and drink it very quickly, run a lap, do another can or bottle. Do 12 ounces? Lap, 12 ounces until you've done a full beer mile and you've done four beers. And what is the goal? To, to run fast? Yes, to, to finish to win? before anybody else. If the goal is to run fast, if the goal is only to run fast, I don't think the goal is really to only run fast. If it were, you wouldn't drink the beer. <laughs> it's... It, it's, it's, it's a manly test? Is it kind of a man faster. test? Like a, it, oh, no. Women, too. So it's, it's a ability to drink test? It's an ability to run fast and drink quickly. So it's kind of like a biathlon. Yes. Like that's uh, skiing and shooting. <laughs> yep, this skiing. is running and drinking. Yep. Yeah. It's for fun. It's for fun. Oh, oh, do you think this will become an Olympic event? No, I don't think so. Right. I think the Olympians may partake, but probably not an Olympic event. What are your plans? I mean, as far as parlaying your education, mm -hmm. your knowledge of history, and your extreme knowledge of brewing, I would think that would, that would make you very valuable in some areas. And yeah, I know you teach, mm -hmm. and I know you brew, but it seems like you could be king of something with your particular skill set and knowledge set. Have you thought about what? What I'm looking forward to do, doing right now is honestly publishing uh, my book. Aha. Uh -huh. so, and your book is on golden lagers. Yes, on the Pilsner. And why is there one global style of beer? Well, let me go ahead and ask you, why is that? I mean, why that one? Why that one? Is it the, very the, short, the way it very tastes? The very short answer, it was it tasted better and it was cheaper. But that took decades of work uh, in the, on the continent of Europe for people working together with business you know, strategies, with management, with education, uh, people working together. Uh, new science and technology. I mean, these brewers were the first ones to start using using you know what I mentioned before, Emil Hansen's strategy of creating pure yeast. All of these things came together with people working together to create this one style, and then it spread across the world with European empires through cultural choices with wanting a low alcohol beer versus a higher alcohol beer, all of it through. So, what I really want to do is teach college, continuing you know have a teaching at one school instead of two or three, uh, teaching about history of empire and commodities and history of beer and alcohol, tying that into people and the history of where we are right now, learning from the past. You teach history at Northeastern? Correct, and Emanuel College um, and other places. And all your students get infused with, th their their knowledge of history comes with a particular they, added skew there of how yep. brewing they, they definitely, uh, I generally, uh, at the end of every semester, the very last class, I will do a lecture just on the history of beer. Uh, regardless of, you know, depending on what the class is, if it's the history of world of the world up to 1500, I will talk about ancient and medieval beer, beer brewing. For my world history since 1945 class, I will talk about the history of beer and then going up to the history of craft beer and where we are today. Okay. 
So, what do you, what's the name of the dog show that everyone goes to that's the big dog show? Can you remember? All right, we don't need to know the name of it. But just but Westminster, thanks, uh, Andrew. So, say there's the Westminster show of beers, and there may be. Is there, By the way, is there such a thing? The Wait, beer show beer where they actually like decide what's the all-time greatest beer in this class and that class and this mm-hmm. class? The GABF, Great American Beer Festival, happens every fall in Denver. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well... You know that I like the Golden Pilsner? The Golden Lager. Golden Pilsner. Lager. And if you were a judge at this show, what would be the winner of that class? The all-time best. You take the attributes of the Golden Lager, whether it be crispness or whatever they are. What is the king of that category? I'll go with the Star Perlman. The uh, Czech Styroperlman or yep. however you say it. Really? Yep. Yeah, because they, uh, it's it's the one that's truest to the origin, terms really? of their uh, their process of brewing, uh, and also the flavor. I mean, we can also look at. I mean, typically beer judges will look at Victory Pilsner, or Victory Pils, as the one they will focus on, true to style. Good. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. I'm really glad you said that because I felt like that was among one or two or three that might be the case. Yeah. So as I was sh- sharing with you on a trip, a Jaycation to Czech Republic. In, it was a town called Olomouc, which you probably, it's a nice town, nice square. I, I did a little walk, walk and talk with people and interviewed them and saying, recorded them, did a piece. You people are from the Czech Republic. You know your beer. What is your favorite beer? And Staropramen was one of the two that were most often mentioned. The other one was Kozel, K-O-Z-E-L, which means goat in one of those languages. Which you can, I can never find. I'd be interested to find that. But folks, S T A R O, P R A M E N, I believe, Staropramen. If you like the golden lager, you might want to try to hunt that down. You can get it around here. We didn't have time to do myths, but we can do that another time when you next time you come back. All right. Great. Thank you so much. No, thank you. There's a lot more. I actually had a lot, many more questions, but we'll save them. For another visit, you can update us. Malcolm Purinton, thank you very much. Doctor of Philosophy in World History, History of Beer and Alcohol, over at three, well, three colleges he teaches at, and Beer Historian. So now that you've spent the time with me, you know how it goes, think about what another, you know, doing another hour might look like, what you might want to accomplish. You could, mm-hmm. We could talk about a speciality. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, stories yes, accompanying absolutely. anything are always good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.